the 26th century, humanity has mastered spacefaring technology and extended its hand to conquer the stars, ushering in an era of mercurial expansion, commerce, and discovery. Massive fleets of deep space mining vessels tear planets apart to feed progress's voracious appetite. One such planet cracker, the USG Ishimura, broadcasts a distress signal shortly after undertaking mineral harvest on the planet Aegis 7 and then suddenly goes dark. A small diagnostic and repair team aboard USG Kellyan is dispatched in response to the signal, numbering among its crew is engineer Isaac Clark, protagonist and player-controlled character of Dead Space. A cryptic video message of Clark's loved one, Nicole Brennan, a medical officer on board the Ishimura, interspersed with static, thrusts the engineer unwittingly into a hotbed of ambition, political intrigue, and religious fanaticism. What initially begins as a straightforward investigation into the state of the planet cracker quickly descends into a struggle for survival amidst maddening terror found aboard, as much of Ishimura has vanished, been brutally slaughtered, and transformed into grotesque creatures of nightmare called necromorphs. At the center of this swirling mystery lies an enigmatic artifact of alien and dubious nature known as the Marker. Its responsibility for the outbreak of monstrosity and terror aboard the Ishimura, and its role in Isaac Clarke and Kellyanne's crew, is pivotal as they stumble upon deep truths hidden for centuries about humanity and its existence in the universe. But to better understand Isaac's situation, we must first explore the geopolitical stage of the 26th century, the necromorphs and the marker. Let's dive in. The events of Dead Space unfold in the early years of the 26th century. Humanity has left the confines of Earth and mastered faster-than-light travel to claim dominion over the stars. The future of Dead Space isn't suffused with an aura of vibrant optimism, where humans lead lives of leisure supported by efficient technology. It shows the future in blunt pragmatism, population growth, decades of interminable wars, environmental exploitation, and climatic volatility greatly denude Earth and place humanity on the brink of oblivion by the end of the 21st century. Out of necessity, humanity launched several missions in space exploration to colonize the Moon, Mars, and other celestial bodies within the solar system. With new frontiers, new resources to harvest, and new lands to populate, Earth was saved from desolation and interstellar fever gripped civilization. Shortly, the unifying government was established to administer populations beyond Earth. The increasing energy and resource demands fueled a golden age of interstellar mining and commerce as massive corporations exploited the lucrative business of deep space asteroid mining to feed humanity's insatiable hunger. The technological marvel of planet cracking, or quite literally breaking a planet apart to more swiftly and efficiently extract its minerals, gave rise to commercial fleets dedicated to the task. The first and largest planet cracker class ships was the USG Ishimura, constructed by the Concordance Extraction Company. Ishimura went on to have a prodigious career and operated several dozen planet cracks in its lifespan. Though the government and companies reveled in the windfall planet cracking provided, humanity still couldn't support its continued expansion without access to clean, renewable, and limitless fuel sources. For centuries, the government would search and research in desperation, hoping for salvation. Such motivations brought both the government and later the Ishimura into contact with the marker for the promise it provided. Central to Dead Space, and events centuries prior, which will be discussed later, are the mysterious, alien, and enigmatic artifacts known as markers. There are two different types of markers that exist in the galaxy, black and red. 
Black markers are truly alien in origin, composition, and design, created by a strange and unfathomable race, and seated on countless worlds that demonstrate the capacity to support sentient life. Double helical in shape, with a domineering aura, black markers give off a constant stream of electromagnetic radiation and have etched onto their surface inscrutable glyphs imparted by their creators. This radiation is believed by the government to be the key to unlocking unlimited energy. In actuality, it warps the minds of those around it, unraveling realities and sanity's tethers, and the glyphs act as a genetic code responsible for formulation of an alien contagion. The black marker's purpose is misunderstood by humanity, who view it with deluded reverence or see in it a potential source for power and energy. Its mission is shockingly simple and dangerously subtle to create and spread an alien infection that spawns waves of horrifying necromorphs and kills millions. How precisely it enacts such transformation will be discussed briefly, but once sufficient volume of necrotic tissue is built up, the black marker initiates a convergence event which transmutes the mass of dead and remolds animated necromorphs into a massive sentient being of celestial scale called the Brethren Moon. A Brethren Moon is thought to be the pinnacle of the necromorph infection and life cycle. Once satiated by the planet it's infected, it will travel between the stars, craft new black markers, and jettison them off to other worlds, beginning the process anew and propagating the alien race. As much of this revelatory information is uncovered in other Dead Space titles, it won't be further explored in this video. The second form of markers are called red markers for their crimson surface, which is due to a substitution of material during creation. Red markers are human-made and artificially crafted in laboratories from reverse-engineered designs of the original black marker. Though they are unnatural, the red markers possess the same abilities and are endowed with the same purpose as the black. From their signal, minds are rent and flesh is flayed as necromorph infections take hold and transform those subjected to the marker's influence into horrifying monsters. There are three known red markers that were created long before the events of Dead Space sent to the isolated reaches of the galaxy for covert experimentation. One of three research facilities was established long ago on Aegis 7 to analyze Marker 3A, the artifact that makes its way aboard USG Ishimura. The marker's presence is quickly followed by an outbreak of deadly, aggressive necromorphs that roll over both the colony on Aegis 7 and the orbiting planet cracker above. But what are necromorphs? How did their infestation on the Ishimura begin, and what led to the crew's horrid inevitable fate? These questions and more swirl through Isaac Clarke's mind as he delves through text, video, and audio logs to recreate the events that transpired just days before his arrival on Ishimura. As Kendra relates to the research conducted by the crew, necromorphs are more than reanimated dead tissue. The bodies of unfortunate deceased have been transformed through an alien presence and contagion. Necromorphs are the result of bio-recombination through injection of alien necromorph tissue into a dead body or mass of necrotic flesh. The host body is transfigured in mere seconds to reflect the genetic code presented by the viral contagion. Arms and legs are twisted, bone is shattered, blood boils as bodies recombine beyond recognition into abominations. Organs useless to the necromorph blueprint are reassimilated into sharpened spikes dangerous talons, and lethal pincers to viciously attack prey. Organs and other structures are repurposed to create a strong, dangerous, and highly aggressive killing machine. Such a transformation is highlighted in the rapid infection of Captain Matthias's dead body. Generally, 
Necromorphs can be divided into two categories, those that spread the necromorph infection and those that create new host bodies to infect through wholesale slaughter. The role of infection is bestowed upon only one highly specialized form of necromorph, whose appearance can be quite easily distinguished. These infectors are reminiscent of manta rays or large gliding birds, membranous wings stretched from the torso to bony arms and grant limited flight. Numerous feelers and tongue-like cords act as prehensile grips to gather dead bodies. They have a flexible central proboscis that they use to pierce their prey and directly inject the necromorph contagion. Reorganization of the host is immediate, and a new necromorph is twisted into existence. The infector then prowls for more masses of tissue to reanimate. These creatures can swiftly turn a room of deceased into a band of ravening undead and are particularly dangerous to deal with, requiring urgent action to dispatch. The remaining necromorph's sole purpose is to kill, to mercilessly hunt down and slaughter, gathering stores of necrotic host tissue of which to infect and integrate into their ranks. Necromorphs are highly adaptable. They assume myriad disgusting shapes or sizes to more efficiently pursue their goal. Small hordes of swarming creatures can overwhelm. Infants and newborn tissue from Ishimura's medical bridge are transformed into terrifying Medusa-like lurkers that crawl along metal rafters and beams to wait in ambush for unsuspecting prey. They have even adapted to launching organic projectiles, sharpened spikes of bone hurtled with great speed to maim or kill. Then, there are the vast majority of recombined crew, necromorphs twisted beyond recognition, but yet retain a trace likeness of their former human selves, making them all the more intimidating. Beyond are larger necromorphs tasked with attacking and disassembling Ishimura as it lies in suspended orbit above the planet. Large tendrils erupt in violence from holdout paths through the bowels of the ship, which signify the vessel's own transformation. A gargantuan creature known as the Leviathan grows within the hydroponics and agricultural wing of Ishimura. It's responsible for contaminating food stores and corrupting the atmosphere with toxic chemicals. Later, Isaac witnesses a terrible monstrosity, a massive lump of slinking flesh the size of an asteroid burrow itself like a tick into Ishimura's hole and rip the vessel's outer structure apart. Perhaps the largest single necromorph entity is the spongy organic goo plastered to the floor and clinging to walls at several main thoroughfares within the ship. This entity, known as the Corruption, is not directly aggressive but rather is responsible for slowly shaping the environment on board, releasing poisons to alter the atmospheric composition, and acting as substrate to produce environs conducive for rapid necromorph proliferation. A text log left by the crew reveals how hardy the corruption is, as it grows back faster than they can torch it. The corruption supplements the necromorphs, offers a source of easily accessible necrotic tissue, and simultaneously weakens the bodies and minds of prey. Many necromorphs act independently and erratically, and when an outbreak reaches significant scale, the marker requires assistance in directing these mindlessly violent creatures. From this need to invoke control, a hive mind is born. The hive mind is a gargantua, a domineering terror that inspires fearful awe in those who witness it firsthand. There can be no mistake, it's the apex predator, large enough to slaughter thousands and powerful enough to snare small ships with its tendrils. But the hive mind's chief role is that of a central nervous system a highly intelligent and adaptable command center that connects all necromorphs through a collective neural network, ethereal mental strings to enact the marker's will.
through the hive mind's shared consciousness, necromorphs coordinate, strategize on a basic level, and overcome human-mounted resistance. Like a whetstone to a dull blade, the hive mind hones necromorph behavior and sharpens it to brutal, directed effect. But how did the necromorph outbreak first unfold? What happened to the colony on Aegis Seven, and how did such a nightmare extend to the Ishimura, consign it to oblivion, and damn its crew to horrid transformation? From the moment of its excavation by Aegis Seven colonists, the marker dominates minds and bends wills. It demands supplication. To gaze upon its exotic, alluring edifice is already too late, as those around are twisted by its aura. The first phase of a necromorph outbreak is insidious, instigated by the alien artifact as the marker's electromagnetic signal works to unravel psyche and bind thought to its thrall. This highly concentrated energy, imperceptible to those within its aura, nonetheless initiates descent into madness as sentient beings succumb to insomnia, delirium, and dementia. People become restive and erratic, their minds twisted like the marker's helical structure. The swift fall into psychotic violence is catalogued in the records of Harris, an Aegis Seven colonist that was brought aboard Ishimura for study, but who lashed out and killed several. At first, emotional outbursts and mood swings take hold, but soon the very fabric of psyche is torn apart as people experience hallucinations and psychosis succumb to suicidal or homicidal ideations, and are spurred to kill by visions of loved ones long dead, urged on by the marker. We see this unfold in the text and audio logs discussing the colonists of Aegis Seven falling prey to mental outbreak, which swiftly extends to the crew of Ishimura. Friends, lovers, co-workers begin slaughtering each other and themselves, unable to distinguish reality from fantasy. Voices swirl in their thoughts, whispering the marker's command to make it whole, an allusion to convergence and unification of flesh and thought through necromorph transformation. The speed at which psychosis manifests is exemplified in the crew of USG Kellyan, who after mere hours of exposure to the marker, begin experiencing terrifying hallucinations and rapidly progressive dementia. Separated from another, each member is precariously susceptible to the marker's thrall. Hammond hears whispers and expresses paranoia. Daniel sees fleeting images of her brother, and Isaac hears Nicole's whispers echo through Ishimura's hull. Mental disorientation makes the necromorph infestation all the more terrifying. If one's own mind cannot be trusted, how can they put faith in their senses and decisions? Mass suicides and massacres abound, precisely the intention of the marker. Fertilized by bloodshed and seeded with bodies of the dead, the first phase creates an abundance of necrotic tissue from which the first generations of necromorphs are spawned and utilized for the second phase of outbreak, infection. Infection and proliferation again begins with the marker. The signal broadcast from the artifact contains the genetic code of the necromorph contagion, which can also visually be seen as the glyphs etched upon its surface. The signal works slowly directing and transforming dead tissue within its pulsing aura into the alien contagion. As mentioned in this text log by Ishimura scientists, the speed of cellular propagation exceeds anything seen before. With alarming rapidity, some deceased are transformed directly by the marker. Unitology, a religion that will be discussed shortly, believe that the necromorphs are divine forms, are gift from God that literally represents the church's preachings of rebirth and transformation. They view these creatures as the culmination of devotion, creating for humans a superior, evolved form that encapsulates the sentiment of oneness proffered by church zealots. This first generation of necromorphs 
rolls across a population in an inexorable foaming tide of malice that sweeps hundreds into the undertow. People are gruesomely slaughtered by unstoppable aliens, their flesh reborn into a twisted mockery of life, all the while their friends falling into confused dementia. Supplementing the signal are waves of infector necromorphs, which inject the contagion directly into expired flesh. Bodies of deceased begin stirring. Their bones creak and flesh tears as they are recycled, recombined into the genetic abominations of necromorphs. Exploration of the marker and its role as proliferator of the necromorph infection calls into question how such a scourge broke on Aegis Seven and on the orbiting Ishimura. How long has humanity known about the marker? How long have we been unwitting pawns to its otherworldly whims? Ishimura's fate was written centuries prior and light years away on Earth in the 2200s. The planet is roiled by increasingly dangerous climate disasters in the 23rd century, its natural resources denuded by humanity's voracious drive towards progress and mutual annihilation in violent, protracted wars on a global scale. By this time, humans have launched several colonizing missions across the solar system, resting their future hopes for survival on their success. Once installed, such colonies will act as a sponge for rampant population growth and an outlet to mine dwindling strategic resources. In the early 2200s, governments are gripped by a frenzy to discover or create sources of a limitless, highly renewable and clean energy to save Earth from wanton destruction it now finds itself careening toward. They leave no stone unturned, no location left unchecked, which yields a most auspicious discovery off the coast of Mexico in the year 2214, so significant its echoes are still felt centuries later. A large, double helical artifact of unknown origin and composition, with indecipherable glyphs etched on its onyx surface, is unearthed. Above the multiplex questions circling around the object, one fact is abundantly clear. It's intelligent in design and alien in construction. A simple statement, but of serious gravity, as the discovery of extraterrestrial life has ground-shaking existential ramifications for humankind. But immediately, the object, simply dubbed the marker, is covertly hurried to research labs for study. It's determined to have been on Earth for 66 million years, perhaps the remnants of the asteroid that devastated the planet, wiping the surface clean and leading to the extinction of nearly 75% of all life, which set the foundation for sentient, conscious, and intelligent humans to develop. A coincidence that hints at the artifact's deeper purpose. Under the close scrutiny of Michael Altman, chief research officer, and his team, it's revealed that the marker emits a constant stream of electromagnetic energy in an autotelic state that requires no external input. Bluntly, it holds promise as a source of limitless energy if properly harnessed, a ray of light cast against a grim future that could be humanity's salvation from resource crisis. This promise comes at significant cost. Before more can be done to unlock its true potential, the marker dominates the minds of the research team who experience hallucinatory bouts and express aggressive urges. They succumb to the marker's thrall, swayed by its whispers to make it whole and turn on another. Altman, who displays an innate mental resistance to the black marker, submerges the research facility and the artifact, inundating the signal before a necromorph outbreak consumes all present, and thus saves Earth from possible extinction. He brings to light the secretive research and reveals to the masses the existence of alien life in the universe. For his actions, Altman is assassinated by the government, 
his death viewed as a cover-up and martyrdom by the fledgling Church of Unitology, a religious cult born from the Black Marker's existence that worships the artifact and extols blessings upon Altman, who acts as the religion's patron saint. His words and research on the artifact foundational canon for Unitologists. This cult's influence and notoriety spreads like wildfire, which is unsurprising given the circumstances of the 23rd century. Alongside humanity's mercurial expansion across the stars is a concomitant decline in hope, optimism, and life after death. Technology, war, desperation, conquest of the cosmos, all have torn at human souls and brought into question the nature of life, our purpose, and our existence. In the grim, pragmatic future, the lustrous paradise offered by religion has dimmed as civilizations question their deeper meaning. The discovery of the black marker further deflates belief in a god as evidence of sentient alien life becomes known. Humans are left disabused of their visions for heaven and resigned to impoverished brief lives. Although the marker opposes established religions, it acts as the centerpiece of the new devotion that inspires the masses. Unitology The core of unitology is belief that the human race was created of intelligent design by a sublime divine alien power in the universe and that heaven offers unification of all in brilliant paradise. The marker acts as the key to enter heaven's gate, and unitologists believe that God speaks through it. As such, they worship the artifact with divine reverence. Through it, God's message is espoused. Much of the church's backstory can be found in this text log on board Ishimura. The marker is rivaled only by the deification of Michael Altman, whom unitologists worship as a prophetic martyr who interpreted the marker's messages. The deeper theme of unitology is transformation and rebirth. It stresses death as a necessary step toward salvation. Through its crucible, our body is transformed and we are born anew. Along this promise is an aura of congeniality, oneness. Unitologists believe humanity will be made whole upon death, reunited with believers in God in a miracle called convergence. We hear parts of the Unitologist Creed in the words of zealot Dr. Chalice Mercer in this recording. These messages have sinister and dire undertones, a simple reflection of the marker's influence on human minds. The religion is nothing more than a thinly veiled lie propagated by the artifact for the purpose of initiating a convergence event. But for those under the marker's thrall, and even those beyond it, unitology is seductive. It offers peace, fraternity, and resolution in a future plagued by fear, instability, and want. The marker acts as a symbol of hope for both the secular government and the religious unitology, which ultimately leads to friction and conflict. These two ideologically opposed organizations engage in a covert war of disinformation, assassination, propaganda, and subterfuge spread across the stars in acquisition of the black and red markers. For the government, who wishes to experiment on and understand the marker's signal and attempts to harness limitless energy, the artifacts are promising sources of untapped fuel exploited to the fullest to save a starving race from collapse. For unitologists, the markers serve as the incandescent beacon of light and hope, the symbolic center of their religion. These artifacts are progenitors of all life and will oversee the transcendence of humanity into divine salvation marked by convergence. Though the Mexico facility and much research was destroyed by Altman and the black marker lost, the government retained blueprints of its design and successfully reverse-engineered three man-made replicas, dubbed red markers, for continued experimentation, beating unitology in the race for control over the artifacts for the time being. 
The promises of power are too alluring to acknowledge the warnings surrounding this dangerous artifact. To maintain safety, secrecy, and avoid the increasingly intractable unitologists, the markers were shipped off-world to various research facilities, one such being the remote, resource-rich planet of Aegis Seven. The Cygnus system lies many light-years from Earth, in space far removed from prying eyes. Here, a research facility is secretly erected for experimentation on Red Marker 3A, funded by the government's largesse, with the expectation that discoveries would yield untapped energy reserves, a tool for breaking the suffocating yoke of dependency on ever-dwindling resources. While testing on the marker for such purposes ran apace, scientists also made strides in decoding the mysterious glyphs etched on its surface. They found these symbols of strange form represented the genetic code necessary to bioengineer alien tissue, a breakthrough that led to artificial synthesis of the necromorph contagion. Exhilarated by their discovery, the Aegis team continued experiments on the necromorph tissue, the marker's influence over it, and the artifact's role as a power source. Elation wouldn't last. Unforeseen events at another marker research facility acted as a catalyst that awakened the Aegis 7 artifact, which began shaping and aggressively propagating the necromorph infection. Now active, the built-up stores of experimental tissue sparked a lethal necromorph outbreak that quickly consumed the Aegis facility. In the gruesome bloodletting that followed, all scientists were killed, and the gathered mass of tissue gave birth to a hive mind. Fearful of greater interstellar ramifications and the threat posed by the marker's necromorph contagion, the government scuppered all research operations, buried or burned any mention of the artifacts, and sealed the facilities behind blacklists or restricted space in the early 2300s. The Aegis 7 disaster went up in smoke, its horrifying mistakes buried alongside its marker on a planet forgotten and abandoned by all, where it would remain dormant for 200 years. But the Red Marker's story doesn't end here. Humanity's capacity for avarice and greed is limitless, its hubris vast. Powerful emotions swirling in conspiration that in the year 2508 fatefully pull the USG Ishimura into a dangerous struggle for survival. The Concordance Extraction Company, one of several multi-trillion dollar corporations that dominate lucrative deep space mining and resource harvesting, lays claim to an impressive commercial drilling fleet. Its crown jewel, the USG Ishimura, is the first and largest planet cracker class vessel. This technology, developed in the 25th century, allows for more efficient retrieval of strategic and precious materials by tearing off entire tectonic shells to expose a planet's core for exploitation. Dangerous, but highly profitable, Planet cracking is the standard for harvesting resources to support rapidly expanding human commerce. To seize greater profits against competition, the CEC launched myriad illegal mining operations in restricted space around the galaxy. One preliminary endeavor brought surveyors to the Cygnus system, an Aegis cluster, space that had been mysteriously abandoned for generations. The CEC stumbled upon a gold mine. Early reports promise massive stores of metals, minerals, and other resources beneath Aegis 7's surface that are later confirmed in this text log detailing the hull once Ishimura cracked the planet. Riches exceeding the risk of operating in restricted space. The CEC swiftly sent personnel to the system and established a rudimentary mining colony on Aegis 7 in preparation for the arrival of a planet-cracking vessel. As the colonists broke ground, their excavations revealed something unexpected and strange. 
there were trace remnants of previous human settlement found with no record of such in existence. Further exploration unearthed an enigmatic red double helical structure hidden beneath the surface. The red marker rediscovered after centuries of idle dormancy. At once, word trickled through space lanes and reached both the government on Earth and the Church of Unitology, sparking a secret dash to claim the red marker. The Church acted first and infiltrated the crew of USG Ishimura, the planet cracker tasked to Aegis 7, planting zealots and believers at various strategic positions within the ship's manifest, most of whom can be found in this text log of Unitologist members. Of significance, Ishimura's captain Benjamin Matthias, Chief Science Officer Terence Kine, and Medical Officer Chalice Mercer, men in commanding leadership roles numbered among the Church's devoted agents. Laden with crew, mining tools, and sundries, Ishimura shock points to Aegis 7, initiates systems for planet cracking, and establishes communication with the mining colony below. Though events proceeded smoothly above, planet side, the colonists report bizarre episodes of dementia, depression, and hallucinations after unearthing the red marker. Most cases begin with harmless insomnia and paranoia, but text log notes of the preeminent colony psychologist detail signs and symptoms of workers who have instigated acts of harm to self or others. They've killed or maimed their co-workers as the red marker begins its siren call. An epidemic of depressive psychosis sweeps the colony as the marker is excavated and moved within its borders. Devoted unitologists, driven by their faith in transcendent rebirth and by the artifact's subliminal message, fall to their knees before the holy statue and commit mass suicide on a grand scale. In a flash, 50 dead bodies drop at the red marker's base while remaining colonists look on in shocked horror. Chaos reigns as more individuals turn violently on another. What little news makes it to Ishimura is startling but insignificant to douse zealotry's flame within Captain Matthias, who against the pleas of kind for more time to study the marker and its effects, orders the artifact immediately aboard Ishimura before issuing a no-fly zone between the ship and the planet, hopeful to quarantine the bizarre epidemic currently inundating the planet. Kine, Mercer, and other unitologists begin studying the marker and its etched glyphs as Ishimura ignites several tons of explosives and cracks Aegis 7 open. The shock from the blast severs communication between the ship and the colony just as the dormant necromorph contagion activates. The slumbering hive mind awakens. The number of dead reaches critical mass and grips the colony in a horrific necromorph outbreak. Caught unaware, the Aegis 7 colony is slaughtered and gruesomely transformed, their pleas for salvation lost in silence and static. An emergency shuttle escapes the hell unfolding on the planet, ignores the no-fly zone, and crash lands within Ishimura's hangar bay, an unwitting vector of the necromorph contagion that alongside the marker wraps its insidious tendrils around the ship and its crew. Days pass. Silence reigns in the void surrounding the Cygnus system. No reports on the progress of Planet Crack reach the CEC. Their fleet's crown jewel has gone abruptly quiet. Then, suddenly, an emergency signal is captured from Ishimura, and the USG Kellyan is dispatched to evaluate, diagnose, and assist the situation. Which brings us to the events that unfold within Dead Space narrative. After a failed docking procedure scuppers the Kellyan, Isaac Clark, Kendra Daniels, and Zachary Hammond find themselves stranded in an eerily silent planet cracker, devoid of human life and in baffling disarray. Immediately, 
they're confronted by the dangerous and aggressive horrors of the necromorph infection, and equipped solely for maintenance repairs of a spacefaring vessel, find themselves in an ill-prepared struggle for survival as they plan desperate escape. Hit with infuriating setbacks of a massive ship largely in disrepair, Isaac's quest to leave the Ishimura simultaneously plunges him deeper into the mysteries shrouding the Red Marker and the truth behind Ishimura's transformation. An unfathomable darkness, sporadically illuminated by fraying electrical circuits whose cold metal walkways resound with the disembodied whispers of the dead calling out to Isaac. Like a river after spring's thaw, Isaac Clark's journey on board the USG Ishimura is tortuous, with dangerous eddies and swirling undercurrents. Chiefly, it's a struggle for survival, as the engineer crafts makeshift weapons from mining tools, with which he defends himself against hordes of relentless necromorphs, while at the same time plying the skills of his vocation to breathe life into derelict Ishimura and escape this hellish nightmare. Clark must also piece together the clues left in erratic disarray to uncover the truth and timeline surrounding both the Aegis Seven colony below and the Ishimura's descent into madness, a grotesque transformation of mind and body bent to the will of the inscrutable marker, uncovered planet side. Finally, Isaac's is a journey of personal significance as his fiancée Nicole works in Ishimura's medical wing. A rush against time grips Clark as he seeks to pull her from the hell of the necromorph outbreak. As the trio of USG Kellyan override containment protocols and break through sealed passageways, they delve through multiple sections of the ship and bring Ishimura online while dispatching prowling necromorphs. With each part of the ship scoured, Clark dissipates the opaque mists of what transpired. Shortly after extricating the Red Marker from Aegis Seven, the crew of Ishimura was subjected to the artifact's dominant aura and descended into madness. Confusion is exacerbated when Dr. Kine inadvertently kills the captain in an unsuccessful coup to arrest Matthias and relieve him of duty, while crew simultaneously go missing, grow paranoid, and lash out at another throughout the ship. At the peak of crisis, necromorph tissue gains a footing on board, and the corruption proliferates with startling temerity. Crew members burst with questions surrounding safety and situation, but are left with no answers from superiors who could never have envisioned the damnation unleashed when the marker was brought on board. At the nadir of order, with people frantic, a necromorph outbreak sweeps across the ship as the deceased are twisted beyond comprehension and let loose on their remaining horrified crew. Isaac stumbles upon many accounts of the Ishimura's vain fight to survive, and indeed comes across multiple survivors of initial attack in their final moments before death. As Clark, Daniels, and Hammond venture further into Ishimura's nightmarish hull, they learn more of the mysterious marker and necromorph infection through two high-ranking unitologists in Drs. Kine and Mercer. Twisted beyond reason by the artifact's whispers and his own fanatical devotion, Mercer unleashes his experimentally modified necromorph to relentlessly pursue Isaac. He preaches the blessings of the marker and promises espoused by unitology. Mercer had led several devoted on Ishimura to commit mass suicide and allow infectors to transform their corpses beyond recognition. He reveals a delusional plan to bring necromorphs and the marker to earth so that all may be consumed in glorious convergence. Dr. Kine, whose mind is also frayed by the marker's influence, yet retains a level of remorseful self-awareness. He relates to Clark the tragedy that befell Aegis Seven, the awakening of the hive mind, and the tragic mistake of bringing the marker on board. He assists Isaac in locating the artifact so it can be returned to the planet, so that it can be made whole again. 
guided by hallucinations of his dead wife. But just as Kind steps to redemption's precipice, his life is cut tragically short by a bullet launched from Kendra Daniels. The Church of Unitology wasn't the only organization to send its covert agents on a retrieval mission upon discovering the excavation of the marker by Aegis colonists. EarthGov couldn't allow such a promising tool and energy source to slip through their fingers. They first planted Kendra within Killian's crew to verify and retrieve the marker, but when her communication went silent, they dispatched the USM Valor, bristling with armaments and manned by lethal military strike teams, on a seek-and-destroy mission, the specifics of which are documented in this text log. The government knew the dangers inherent to the marker and set in place contingencies should Kendra fail her mission. With the marker in tow aboard a ship speeding to safety, Daniels reveals the long history of the markers, the government's involvement, and her own role before stranding Isaac and consigning him to Ishimura's fate. But through clever thinking, deft skill, and the spurring to action from the marker that influences his mind through visions of Nicole, Isaac thwarts Kendra and returns the red marker to Aegis Seven. Its wish to be made whole is fulfilled, before he himself finally escapes. Isaac Clark perseveres through a crucible of madness, despair, and horror to not only survive a necromorph outbreak, but also a brush against the alien marker with his sanity largely intact. Or did he? As he finally breathes a sigh of relief, Clark is attacked by Nicole's deranged apparition, and then the black void of nothing. Humanity has long pondered deeper truths hidden within the enigmatic marker. It's a symbol of salvation to both its secular and religious adherents. On one end, offering hope to pragmatic governments keen to exploit its potential as a limitless fuel source as their own dwindling resources are stripped with alarming haste. On the other, it's a divine herald of an idyllic afterlife where humanity is joined as one in promised paradise. But perhaps the true nature and purpose of the marker is far more sinister. We've already seen its immediate ability to proliferate the necromorph contagion, but a more insidious, subtle purpose calls into question the very nature of human existence. Perhaps the black marker that seeded Earth eons ago has been working slowly but relentlessly over millennia to create a species through artificial evolution, sapient and conscious, but malleable in mind, easily swayed to enact the marker's will. Are our minds and even our bodies truly our own? Or are humans slaves under the marker's thrall to bring about the whims of its alien creators? Humanity, the pinnacle of intelligence and evolution on Earth, could merely be a product of meticulous manipulation built purely to propagate the marker's influence. This terrifying thought experiment leads to one chilling question whose answer could determine humanity's fate. Are we strong enough to resist the marker's call, or will we succumb to glorious, gruesome convergence? Thanks so much for watching and listening to the lore of Dead Space. Now I want to hear from you. Let me know your thoughts on the markers, the necromorphs, and whether the future of humanity can break free from avarice or hubris, as well as suggestions for future videos in the comments below. And if you're a fan of lore and storytelling, consider subscribing to the channel or checking out the podcast where content is uploaded frequently. Again, a huge shout out to all of my Patreon supporters who make all of this possible. I couldn't do it without their spectacular patronage. And to my editor, Charlie Media. If you're interested in becoming a lore luminary for access to me, a great community, and early video drops, check out the link below or head to patreon.com slash thelorebrands to learn more. Until next time, go forth and explore the lore.